Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hello, Jim. Hello, David. One of these days, I'm going to let you start us off again. It's been a while. It's been a little bit. Yeah, it's been some time here. Um, (laughs) Dude, this week, this week. um, So today, uh, it's Sunday. It's uh, November 21st. No, it's the 24th. 24th. Yep. Uh, I had a visit from a friend. Uh And uh, a friend was uh, Nick. Nick Bongers of uh, yep. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Awesome. Um, so he came out to my place on his way to uh, uh, Wisconsin to go visit family, you know, for the holidays. Okay, yep. And he and he decided he's going to drop off these P90s. And he gets here. And I told him I was going to take him lunch, but he gets here and he and he gets out of his car and he says, "Hey, I have a uh, I have a, I have a 55 LP Junior in the in the car. You want to play it?" <laughs> uh, and I was like, uh, "Duh." So. Um, we we did that we did the pet swap thing and i like moved my cats into the bedroom and he brought his yep. dog in and yep. then we went and got food and we came back and then i washed my hands <laughs> so i could play yeah, oh, yeah. 55 lp junior um i don't know what the guitar is valued at i could definitely see it being in the four thousand five thousand dollar range right um it so it's got a it had a couple of things that he replaced but in my opinion none of those are like value breakers um like the tuners had been redone the bridge had been worked on um, and or replaced. Um, well, this was a player. I, yeah, new inserts. Well, this was a one-owner guitar, right? Right. And th- it was a player. Like, you could tell that the guy only played in the root position and, like, the second fret. And then all the way up. And then and then there was, like, a jump. And then at, the like, the, the 14th fret, right? So he, he played a lot in G and uh, played a lot in F yeah. sharp. <laughs> um, so it was, it was kind of funny because uh, – I didn't know what to expect, right? So he tells me it's light, and it's, it's pretty light, right? So I all the LP um, juniors I played, I've never played a vintage one. I you know, I played uh, right. SG juniors and stuff like that, um, and some some really vintage SGs. I think uh, I, I think I've talked about the one on the show that I played that uh, was like a '64 or '65, and it was like one of the best guitars I'd ever played. Right, um, was an SG 
and it yep. was it was just ridiculous like no finish on the neck and it, and it was dude it was so light actually dan kish was there when i played that guitar um so he can comment on the group if he wants but uh anyway so the uh, the lp junior was um thicker than i thought they were so right. the, so i thought they were slightly thinner than your standard like lp with no top no this was like a full thickness lp body right. and um so i i played it for a little bit and uh the P90 that's in it is, is great. It's low output. It's not yep. a super high output P90. And uh, he'd had the frets redone. So right. they were, now he said he used Gibson fret wire, but they were like the Gibson jumbo, right? Right. And I could not imagine a company using that kind of fret wire back then because all the fenders I've ever played from back then, super even thin. the closet classics yeah. are like, they're like, you're, you're touching the fretboard more than you're touching the fret. I mean, right. it, it's craziness. Um, this guitar was damn near almost scalloped. Yeah. Um, really impressed with it. Played really well, had yep. beautiful checking on it. Um, yep. not the, not the kind of checking that's like spider web and like straight lines, like lightning, but more yeah. like curvy and, you know, yep. kind of checked all the way across the guitar. Right. Um, no buckle rash to be seen on it, but plenty right. of like nicks and, and bumps around the edges and like an old guitar. Right? Probably, yeah. He probably did a lot of playing sitting down. Yeah, this prevents guitar, the back from getting rubbed a lot. Mm -hmm. This guitar was uh, it's it's sweet. Like I, I it made me think about LP Juniors. Yeah, which, it doesn't. The current LP Juniors aren't that thick. No. So, <clears throat> yeah, you're gonna find a different feel to the LP Juniors now. Um, now, if you look at the old ones, and you don't even really have to go that well. I say you don't have to go that old, but you'll have to go into the sixties. You'd be hard pressed to after after me playing that guitar. You'd be hard pressed to tell me that it makes sense not to buy vintage guitars if they're inexpensive, like an LP Junior is, like right. for like three grand ish. I mean, look, it, it smoked anything Gibson's putting out today. First of all, there's a lot of players out there nobody's buying because they're not vintage. Uh, right, I, I shouldn't say vintage. There are a lot of vintage guitars out there that are players. That people aren't buying because they're not pristine. They're not That's original vintage, and well, they they're buying, <laughs> but they're, the prices are much lower. You know what right. I mean? Like because they're for us, they're for right. people that really play. Yeah, um, you can realistically still get yourself a, 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 your hands on a late fifties, um, you know, guitar. Even, even a late fifties Telecaster is affordable yeah. if you find yeah. one that's not original that's been like upgraded, and modified over the years. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm completely okay. Or beat with the that. shit. Right. Now, as long as like, as long as the majority of it's intact, I think the body is a big part of it because that stuff's all old growth. Um, I just, part of my whole thing when, when I played that guitar was it made me realize just like, well, here's an oft overlooked market segment. And I kind of want to start exploring. Um, and maybe it's something we can do on the show later. We can talk about it, but I want to start exploring what inexpensive vintage looks like. And finding like of the major brands, right? Now, real right. vintage. Not we're not talking about like. And I know people are going to shoot me for this, but not like Silvertone or something right. like that, because those kind of guitars were not meant to be. Um, well, they weren't. They weren't the big brands even at the time. They were. They were popular because they were easily accessible. But right. they weren't. It, it, they weren't Fender. They weren't Gibson. They weren't Supro. I would even say Supro may fall into that category from that time period. Um, but even other guitars in that, you know, like the eighties and stuff like Kramer's and things like that are kind of, they're, they're achieving a vintage status, but for right. a player 
who wants something with a you know with like the right resonance and that kind of stuff like that's kind of what i want to look at so if i get a chance maybe after the holidays because i don't want to go to the city during christmas season i'd like to go down to chicago music exchange and take a look at some of their um intense vintage stuff like right. their, their pieces that are you know you could play and you could afford um if you can buy an lp like an lp standard today you can probably pick up a vintage guitar if you if you look for the right thing right um, so anyway lp jr is great uh nick was nick was having a good time i'm glad i got to see him um he's welcome here anytime uh, as are you jim and as are you know some of our other listeners and i think they all know who they are um but uh yeah so i'm hoping to actually get up to michigan to do some video work um filming his pickups and uh going through some of his guitars and things like that yeah so i'm looking at a 1955 les paul special for for six thousand dollars right now yeah i mean that's i mean in my mind that's out of the realm of affordability for most folks but you know for a lot of people yeah, if you've only got one guitar and you're only going to play one guitar, six thousand may not be that crazy. Exactly. Um, now, I'm kind of thinking of the persuasion that, like, I, okay, let's face it, the music I'm making now is really modern music. Um, it's it's metal influenced, but anybody who knows me knows that that's not all I play. And so, for me to have a piece like that laying around somewhere that I can whip out for, you know, just kind of like playing some blues jams and stuff with people. It'd be yep. kind of a nice luxury. Granted, I am broke right now. Um, but some point in the future, maybe I'll pick something up like that. I think I think uh something like that's very unique and and uh well again different. There there are gonna be out there that are affordable. There's a double cut nineteen fifty-nine for three thousand. There's a um nineteen fifty-eight uh junior for well that thirty-two. That, that SG I played was like <clears throat> I think it was like two grand. I was yeah. like, you kidding me? Yep. And, and uh, you know, I don't know what had been done. They probably had new tuners and stuff on it. Like that's probably why it was more, less expensive. But yep. I mean, I bought guitars that are almost that much. So it, it, I, at the time I was going to go, this is out of the room of affordability. But now I'm kind of thinking about it. It's like, well, maybe not so much. I mean, now that I know that I can save up yep. and buy things like and right. I can starve myself to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, that thing that yeah. becomes a I little mean, bit more. The, the thing is, like, what did what did um, Nick? Mick told us what he paid for that, right? Um, yeah, and and so he gets lucky, and and I don't think I mean he played way under market value for it, right? But it was not in playable condition when he got it. I don't think, right? Um, so he did a lot of restoration work to it. In fact, he even salvaged the original nut. They shimmed the original nut, and the shim is so thin I couldn't see it until I got like super close to it. Um, it looked cause the, the whole thing's checked, you know, um, when I, when I got up really close, I could see this like thin sliver. So I don't, I mean the, the, the luthier that does his work is, I mean, I was pretty impressed cause I've seen way worse jobs on things like that. Um, but they kept the original nut. It has, uh, I think the bridge is a replacement bridge has the original pickup in it. Not much rust on the original pickup either, which was pretty surprising to me. But a uh, very cool guitar, great experience playing it. And um, I think if you're in the market for something vintage-esque, I mean, that was a guitar from the 50s. And, I mean, they go for about 4000 I think. That's not terrible. Um, 
now, you know, you got to get a compensated bridge and stuff to put on there because obviously they're not intonated for whatever gauge strings you're going to throw at it or whatever. But, um, you know, something to think about if you're, if you're, uh, you've always wanted something like that. Um, I have played the new LP juniors and I don't, I mean, if I was going to get, so if I had my pick of the litter, I'd probably look for a double cut. Um, I think the double cut bodies are cool, but I don't like not the, not the inexpensive double cut. Like I want a real finish on it. Right. Um, right. But I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really Gibson dude, but I will tell you this. So if like, so I look at that, I'm like, maybe I should look at a mirror because mirror is really very similar to that, except it's two pickups. Yep. In the sense that you got to stop, you know, tailpiece. There's not much to go wrong with the guitar. It's pretty stripped down, similar body. Um, and I know they're SEs now and they're, and they're relatively inexpensive. Um, so it's just something to, you know, maybe on, maybe on down the road by, by a used SE mirror or something, or maybe even a used USA mirror. I don't think they're going to be going for that much because they were S2s for a while. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, you know, and, and I hate myself because at one point I almost bought a mirror. I had enough money and I, I remember to buy a mirror. And I was like, I don't like the pick guard. And I just, Ugh. I was just staring at it so long that I was like, I don't like the pick guard. And it really you know, wasn't that I didn't like it. It was just that I was just like bored, like bored with the look of the guitar or something. Um, now I, I think I would probably enjoy a mirror better than I d- did my SG because the body shape seems to be a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, uh, on with the show. Uh, so Mace Boogie launched some new products this week. Oh, did you want to do your, uh, did you have a Guitar Center story to share with us? Let's do stories from Guitar Center. Okay. <clears throat> I had a wonderful week at Guitar Center. Um, and I wound up with a, um, I tried to take what Jack's, uh, Robert Jackson told me uh, during the podcast um, a couple weeks ago and try to take that to heart. And so as I was driving um, to Guitar Center today, I had to pick up something stupid. I had to pick up a uh, napkin holder. So I went to Walmart and I'm driving up Virginia Beach Boulevard. And as I'm coming up towards Guitar Center, I look over and there's one of these guys that comes in all the time and he's walking. And he's probably walking at, at that point, he's he's got a mile and a half walk to go. And he's walking to Guitar <laughs> and Center. And he's walking all the way to Guitar Center to sit down and play. And all of a sudden, the side of me that is a little more gruff and, and yeah. I'm like, this guy just walked, you know, in the cold a couple miles to sit down and play a guitar in a place he feels comfortable and, and safe. And and all of a sudden, <clears throat> a perspective that, that I didn't have 10 minutes before that, you know, hits me like, you know what? You it, guys are the destination. That's right. And and I had somebody today come in and they said uh, they were talking to one of the sales associates. And I just overheard it. They said, you know, I really want to support the local mom and pop, but those guys won't let us play anything. Yeah. And when they do, they want us to, you know, keep it to three minutes and, you know, strip naked. And your lo- your and- local mom and pop sucks. Let's let's just be honest. Well, yeah, my, yeah, I won't name which one it was. <clears throat> but the point is that 
as I've been looking at, you know, being in here and being in a, in a different perspective and seeing things differently, you know, I'm suddenly realizing that, you know, there's a lot of, I said to the person, I said, well, um, you know, we're, we're local too. I said, yeah, it's we, not just because you're corporate doesn't mean the right. people that work here don't work in this area. You know, like we, don't live. Right. In- we pay taxes here. We buy food here. We yeah. do stuff here. We are local too. You know, <clears throat> don't think that that, um, you know that that uh, we don't support the local economy. If we didn't, you know, it would be a different thing. So, like I said, I I got a different perspective, and and people were. Um, People were gen- have been general, genuinely nice. Um, it's been funny uh, because all of a sudden, since I've been there for a while, you start to see the same faces, start to see the same things. One of the things I found that that I don't really have to work hard to sell. No, at all. No, no. And then and <laughs> people come in, and I'll go. You need anything? And 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 uh, you know, um, I'll say. Uh, you know, can I help you find anything? Oh no, I'm just looking. But then I'll see him look, and I'll go. Would you like to play that guitar? Yeah, I would. All right, let me get it down for you. So, well, I really can't afford it. That's all right. You're not here to. You're not here to do that. You're here to enjoy yourself, to have yeah, fun, have, have a good time. Like, don't worry. And all of a sudden, there's a different perspective from them to us to say, "Wow, they're not. They're just trying to and you that, know, get stuff." In. That opens people up to buying less expensive products too, because. Then they're like, well, I want to do something just to support the store or to make sure that's you get exactly, your back. Yet, you know, that's exactly what I was going to say. And that same person walks up to me. And even if they don't spend a lot, they're, they're just grabbing some picks. They're grabbing some strings they're grabbing some other stuff. And it's a, I think it's a great thing that, that, you know, whether they do that or they just say thanks and they, you know, give me the cable back and ask me to put the guitar back. Um, it's, it's a great thing. And I got to see two, guitars tonight that you only got to see for two hours right now there was the there's there's a new um i I know it's weird for me to say this because i'm not usually like this but there's a new uh um telecaster and a new stratocaster coming we got to see them for two hours and they had them in this really cool like smoky color and a really cool fretboard i i couldn't exclusive thing for for guitar center and they're okay. exclusive to Guitar Center. So you're, you not, so you don't, you're not bound by law not to discuss them. Right. Okay. Right. That's why I can discuss them. Um, really smoky color, really cool looking. But we could only display them for the two hours and then we're going to display them again. But we're the only store that's got them. And oh, when cool. I say the only store, I mean the only store. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really cool to see something like that. It was nice. Yeah, nice. they do. I mean, and, and people forget that even like Fender Gibson do these small runs. Uh, Chicago Music Exchange often gets things that are like only – things that they get um, yep. and they work with the manufacturer to do it. And they usually have a price tag to match attached, but you know, um, these weren't that expensive. Though. That's what I liked about. Yeah. Them. And that's well, so that's the other thing is like they do, they will do inexpensive runs too. Um, yep. And you just have to be lucky enough to, to catch one. That's cool. Cause I've seen some and, pretty not cool inexpensive runs. Um, like Sweetwater does the, uh, the sandblasteds. And I know some yeah. people hate them. I actually really dig some of them. Um, yeah. It depends on the guitar and like what the contrast is. That's, that's, you know, the body right. actually makes a huge impact as, a, as well on that. But, um, you know, if, you, if you're into the bowling ball look, like <laughs> yeah, some of them are pretty cool. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad to hear oh. that you're, you're having a new perspective <laughs> it and, is. and it's help and it's beneficial. 
Um, it is. I will say this. So when I go into Guitar Center, I don't like the the kind of brush off attitude. It's like, well, this guy comes in here, he doesn't buy things. I do buy things, and right. I know I buy things, but right. they still brush me off. And you know, it, yeah, it, and, it, and you know what it, they need? They need somebody like Robert Jackson. They need a better manager. They, exactly. They literally, yeah, they need literally somebody like Robert Jackson to walk in there and go. It, it was something that he said to me that that made me think. You know what? Why don't we? Consumers that have a good time spend money. That's a fact. That's right. But what he what he said to me was, Jim, you're going to be the the person that sells that kid or that whatever um, person on uh, their first guitar. Yeah, yeah, dude. And today, a little girl couldn't have been eight years old bought her first guitar from me. No, it was last night. And I almost cried. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, dude. I've been in the stores when this happened. Yep. And it's, I mean, I, I it makes the customer who's like really into guitar, because that's the thing. I don't think everybody that goes into Guitar Center as into the instrument as like maybe you and I are or some of our listeners of the show. Um, I think, and I think people kind of respect like uh, where they're at, you know, in terms of their, in terms of their, uh, a level of of uh, obsession with the instrument, and I think for people like you and I, when we see somebody starting, that's like a big deal because we can remember what it was, what it was like. Right. Excuse me, what it was like when we started. Yep. Um. Yep. I I can't tell you how many young girls this week I have sold their first guitars, and it, it dude, it, it gives you. Yeah, my daughter. She's had one for a while, right? This has, yep. she's a hanger. You can actually see it. It's in the background in her room. Yep. Um, it, she has a hanger that it hangs on, and for the longest time, she wasn't interested. But for the last month and a half, she's been playing it, and I can't be prouder. Um, yep. And it makes me really excited to think she's actually ill today. She's run a temp, but. Um, oh, and she's on quarantine. She's on quarantine. Um, but she's uh, she's picking up a guitar, and she's like, she's got my old little box amplifier. It's in her bedroom, yep. and um, I hear her plunking away in there, and I can hear her plunking <laughs> away without the amp too. And it yep. just like when because she's also picking up the violin, so um, yep. both of those skills are like congruent. She's learning, you know, notes and rhythms and things like that. And it's, yep. I know that at some point. If she chooses, she will be able to play like her dad and, you know, maybe have a skill that she likes for the rest of her life. That's a big deal right. to me. I, I have another thing I have to show you. But while I'm gone, ex um, here's what I want you to do. Tell people what you see when you see me disappear and reappear. Are you ready? All right. All right. I'm going to do I'm this. I'm seeing an old man go. run away. Yeah. I'm not going to run away, but I am going <laughs> to mute you so I'm not banging around yeah, in the background. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, give us some commentary while this is going on because Jim can't hear a word I'm saying. Um, I'm seeing three guitars hanging on his wall that are always there. I'm wondering if he ever takes them out to gig with them. Um, oh, good God, Jim! He's got a Fender sweater, a Christmas sweater, and it's an ugly sweater. Why didn't you just put a pentagram on it? It's, it would be the same thing. I think I should find a pen. Oh, you know what? We should find a pentagram with a sacrificed goat's head in it, and that could be my Christmas sweater. And he's smelling it too. He's smelling it like an old man. I you were smelling that. for the mothballs. Is that what you're doing? No, no. I was. I was just. I was literally sneezing. Oh yeah, into the into the sweater, folks. Into my brand new sweater. It's got picks and guitars on it, and snowflakes. 
you know, yeah, that says a lot. <laughs> that really says a lot about the snowflake. Hey, listen, it's a Fender sweater. Yeah, all right. Enjoy that sweater, Jim. Enjoy that sweater. Wow, and that <laughs> looks like it was really intense. Like the label was like like two inches by two inches. Oh yeah, it's, it's huge. Look at, label. Look at this. Look at Yeah, thing. it's like it's like. Oh, that's not gonna look itch. At, look at how big the Fender yeah, logo no, is. Yeah, and the Fender logo is like the size of the label. Yeah, it's the uh, size of the one that would be put on your guitar. Yeah, that's how big this it's is. nuts. Actually, as far as ugly I've sold a few of these because of this. <laughs> as far as ugly sweaters go, I will say that that is a not as ugly sweater as some other ugly sweaters I've seen. Right. My, my wife, she has the king of ugly sweaters. Right. It's the Jello from uh, from uh, Christmas Vacation on a green oh, on a green sweater. That's green awesome. and brown. Oh, it, oh I want you to horrible. I want you to see what's what's right here. Look at the end of the R. Or, I mean, the, yeah, oh, the, end of the R yeah, button. the trademark. Yeah, they had to put the trademark thing on her. Hey, is, if you get a register, they trademark. play authentic. Yeah, it's playing authentic. <laughs> They're playing authentic. Even I played it authentic today. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to laugh. So we had a uh, we had an S five hundred come in. I thought you'd appreciate the this story. An S five hundred came in tribute or no real thing S from S style body or pre S style body. It was a pre S style body. Oh yeah, so like the Skyhawk. Old, yeah, I mean, things are awesome. Yeah, it's um, it's really old, and it weighs a ton. How much they want for it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't look at the if, thing. If you could, if it's still there, and you can find out the age. If it's an eighty-four, let me know. Okay, looking for my birth year. Oh yeah, yeah, I will look. So, uh, but anyway, um, I don't expect it will be, but and and it's heavy, so that may be a pass. But uh, I would love to find a, an eighty-four S five hundred. Or eighty five. Yep. That's my wife's birth year. Um, I'm trying to collect a birth year guitar for like all the people in my family. So me, my wife, my kids. And I don't know exactly what I would end up. Getting. I'd have to get one from 1964. So I just don't know. Did they reinstate when? What year did they reinstate the Les Paul? Was that 66, 68? It was I later. Say it was like right? 69, man. Might have been, yeah. yeah it, was like, it was 68, 69, but like they didn't really start showing up in stores until like 70. Yeah, because I I know that I can't find a Les Paul. Yeah. I'd have to find an SG that was my birth year. Yeah, yeah. And forget. Yeah, you should have done that when you were my age. Strat. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I know. Uh, for, for the record, folks, I'm 35. So, um, well, I'll be yeah. 35 in like three weeks. Yeah, if I'd have done it in 99, it would have been a lot cheaper. Oh, Jim, I forgot to tell you. I got to mail that pedal to you that you bought for me. So I got yes. to get that in the mail. I just say it on the show here. Uh, Jim bought my um, Angry Driver. Yeah, um, I'm the I'm, one who bought it. Because I'm giving it up. And actually, you can sell your boss Blues Driver because the Blues Driver uh -huh. that's in it is better than the one that you've got. I'm, I'm, willing, oh, cool. to, I'm willing to bet. Okay, um, I'll do so that. You'll recoup some of the money that way. Uh, yeah. Dude, what a cool pedal. But that video I sent you before the show... Huh? Yeah, what do you what do you think of that Kingmaker? Oh, that was awesome. Seriously. Yeah. Well, I mean the, the Kemper sounded good anyway, but then I hit the Kingmaker and it's like takes it to the next level. And oh, then yeah. the the warp vinyl. I was thinking about selling the warp vinyl, and then I hit the switch and I was like nope. I was instantly <laughs> like, like, do you feel like we do? I was like, Yeah, let's do it. Uh, you know. Yep. <laughs> um but yeah, dude, the crazy thing about and I'll post that clip in the group. So if you're uh listening to the show, uh reminder, we have Facebook group, join it. You will find all, all sorts of information about the show. You will participate in discussions. Uh, resistance is futile. 
Uh, also, <laughs> we have Patreon and all that stuff. Um, you can find us on Patreon. Just search for us, Practical Guitarist. You'll find us. Um, big red logo, you know, red guitar and white background. Um, and then uh, we got a Threadless store as well. And all the links for this stuff is in um, the announcement section of our Facebook group. So uh, feel free to join. Um, we appreciate discussion. There's 300 plus people in there now. And uh, it's pretty active community. You post something, usually within 10 minutes, you get a response. So, um, yeah, we're, you know, looking to grow it. So if you're interested, uh, you know, hit us up. Uh, Jim and yeah. I will, you know, decide whether or not you're worthy. Now we'll probably allow you. If you, if you answer the questions, we'll allow you. And then uh, yep. we'll continue to harass you after that. <laughs> yeah, no, we won't. And, and Jim, we won't. Jim and I are probably yeah. the most active. Well, I don't even know. You, you, I, I see you post quite a bit there, but. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jim and I are probably During the most the active participants in that group, but yeah. uh, that's not saying a whole lot because we have some really active people in there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, join up. But anyway, what I was saying was um, <coughs> we we're talking about the, uh, the the pedals that I put on this board. Um, I put together like and it's hilarious. I've had this shelf a long time ago that I put four feet on the bottom of it and I put handles on it. And I was using it as like a really inexpensive like board that I could just like carry around and use for small things. I'm waiting on a board. I bought a board at uh, Good Time Music um, during their their uh, VIP sale event thing, and um, I I bought a board and I'm waiting for it to come in. I bought a Voodoo Lab Medium, which is way bigger than I need right now, but I'm thinking I might mount my uh, my Kemper remote on it, and uh, if I do that, then it'll be just right. Um, and so I wanted to get uh, I wanted to get a couple of the little pedals that, that you know, they kind of sit in the drawer and put them on this board so I can take them to the next show. So I'm playing with Old Stumpy on Wednesday, Black Wednesday, Blackout Wednesday, if you're an Old Stumpy fan. Um, and uh, I've got like I got the set list down. We're, we're playing some new stuff. I'm going to be playing um, uh, one of the songs. I'm trying to think uh, we're doing Comfortably Numb. That's one of the new ones. Um, and I, I'm actually looking forward to playing some of the dead tunes, which is really kind of weird because um, I wasn't a big dead fan before I started playing with old Stumpy. But now that I'm playing some of the songs, it's, you know, I, I've got a new respect for some of that music. And um, so I got this uh, I got this little like it's a shelf, literally, and with two handles on it. And I put um, my boss TU3 on it, which I don't even know why I bothered because I have a tuner in the Kemper. Um, and then I have the warp vinyl from uh, chase bliss. And then I have the Kingmaker uh, from source audio, which I talked about last week, the warp vinyl. What amazed me is I have it in front of the Kingmaker and I have it set to do kind of like a, a faux uh, Leslie rotating speaker thing. And I can kick that on with the fuzz after it. And it sounds just like Peter Frampton. You know, do you feel like we do like that? It's, it's very much rotating speaker. And the coolest thing about it, Jim, is it's tap tempo. So I can literally just tap my foot to whatever we're playing and it'll spin at the appropriate speed. It's pretty cool. And I'm excited to use it. I'm glad I dusted that pedal off because I was actually going to sell it because I'm like, I never use this. Awesome. But awesome. It, and I'm glad you wanted to give me or not give me. I'm, well, <laughs> it's far from given. But the uh, the um, angry, driver, angry drivers I'm, coming I'm, your way. Okay. Um, actually, yep. one of my other pedals, the uh, one of my fuzz faces is going out. Um, yep. I'm selling another fuzz face. My, uh, Digitech looper is going to be on the block. Um, yep. and some other stuff. So 
I'm just trying to get enough money so I can put together like a small board for uh, open mics, basically, but also so I can use it with old Stumpy. So it's going to be kind of multi-purpose, but basically, you know, compact and self-contained. Every time you call that old Stumpy, I laugh my ass also, off. Old Stumpy refers to one of the band members' fathers, who is an amputee. Oh, and that, yep, is, I, and that is his nickname. That is exactly what I figured, but I didn't want to come off as, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I am politically incorrect by saying that's what I figured. Well, he has been known to actually show up at the shows and tell the story of Old oh, Thumpy, cool. Thump Thump, as it goes. And it is about yep. um, somebody who's hunting people in the woods. And wow. yeah, it's a, it, it goes back to when they were kids and they were camping in the woods and it's a whole thing. Uh, you have to come see the show to actually hear the story, folks. Um, and I'm sure we will tell it again at the next show. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we're just a, you know, we're a party band. We play, we play like, and it's just a party. People drink and have a good time. And I, I honestly, uh, when I get out there, I honestly want to make sure I get out there when you're going to have a gig. So, so, you, can, so you can see me play. Oh, dude, I'll go to open. Like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> That'd be awesome to see old Stumpy and old Stumpy and, and, uh, and, and me, you know, the whole band. Well, yeah. It's cool because. I've really been accepted by this group, which I kind of just thought like, oh, I'll be a hired gun, you know, and that's how this is going to work out. But now it's like, no, no, you have a voice in this too. And, and we respect your opinion. And, and, um, we do have like, it's not a democracy. It's definitely a dictatorship. Um, but it's a benevolent dictatorship. So, right. um, but things are starting to come together. Like we're getting the equipment we need to, to do all these gigs and things. This is kind of cool. But anyway, if you want to come see us, we're going to be at, uh, rookies in, what town is that? It's Rookies on Lake Street. You can you can Google it. You'll find it. It's in Illinois. It's just north yep. of uh, what town? Just north of Bloomingdale. I think it actually is Bloomingdale where it's at. It's Bloomingdale or Roselle, and I'm not sure which exactly. So, um, Google it. Uh, come out and see us on Wednesday. Have a good time. Um, we're hoping to pack the place. But anyway, uh, you know that's what people do. So, yeah. Um, I want to talk about, I, I want to do things out of order, Jim, because I know we talked about pre-order like before we did the episode. Okay. Um, yep. Just so I can run through this real quick. Last week I mentioned I bought new profiles and I didn't explain because I, I wanted to talk about what they were and I didn't get to it. So I bought a long time ago, like right when I first got the Kemper, I bought profiles of the Triple Crown from Sinmix. And they were good. Um, they're really good metal profiles. And... What do people, most people buy the Triple Crown for? It's playing hard rock and metal, right? So um, I was like, yeah, these are great. But I was like, what about Channel 1? And what about, you know, the lower gain settings on the end? Which there are some profiles, but the thing is, they're all with mismatched cabs. Like, you might have one lower gain profile with a Hesu cab, and you might have one lower gain profile with a Mesa cab. And before you're, you know, it's they don't all match up. And I'm not a big believer in silencing the cab modeling on the Kemper. I th I've had some bad results with it, and I've had some good results with it too. But I just kind of earn the set of caution, try to use the profile as stock as I can get it. Um, and of course, I'll dial the EQ and all that. But I don't really want to mess with the, the cabinet if I can avoid it, unless it's a direct profile, because it won't have a cab applied to it. Um, so I got the Triple Crown patches that just came out from Tone Junkie. Um, and for those of you guys that don't know, Tone Junkie is, uh, he's got a podcast, he's got a YouTube channel and he makes Kemper profiles and he makes Helix, uh, presets. And I think he, I think he does IRs too. Um, he's been doing this for a while and I've got some of his other profiles and like, I've been pretty impressed with them, 
um, I got his Mark five set and I, I wasn't super impressed with that. And I got his Friedman set and that was pretty good. The, the Brown eye. Um, but I have to say his triple crown profiles, like he's got it figured out now. Cause I was just like blown away. It's like having the triple crown. I mean, it's I, I honestly, cause he, cause he modeled the, um, the channel one with almost no game. He's got, he's got three like volume levels, three game levels for each channel. And there's three channels. So there's nine, um, nine profiles. And that's just with one output tube. So you get nine profiles of EL 80 or EL 34s. You get nine profiles of six L sixes and get this. You even get nine profiles of six V sixes in the, uh, in the triple crown. Holy crap. And then, <clears throat> and that's not even it. So I'm, I'm going to try to pull the profile pack up while we're talking about it because on top of that, you also get right. direct profiles. And I haven't even loaded those on my Kemper yet because they're, they were good enough with the, the cab modeling engaged and the, the cabinet modeled, even though this was based on a, I think it's based on a triple crown combo, which I played the triple crown combo and you know, I almost bought one. Um, so I, that's not necessarily saying a bad thing. But it's just that um, it was kind of surprising to me that they included um, or that they, that they that they had the direct profiles, too. So, uh, yeah. So how many profiles is this? One, two, three, four, five. Oh, yeah. And I forgot with the tight switch engaged. So it's not nine. It's 18 profiles without. And that's not even talking about the direct stuff. I'm looking for the uh, zip file. Oh, here it is. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, eleven sixteen. That sounds right. Uh, yeah. So direct profiles. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. And I'm going to assume because these aren't marked. I'm going to assume these are all EL thirty four. Um, because that's what the amp comes stock with. And I, I gotta say, um, I've been delighted. I've had a really good time with these uh, presets so far. Um, and also Jeff messaged me today and said you don't need to buy a triple crown you just need to buy the uh um the uh grid slammer because he said you can get similar sounds out of the mark V with the grid slammer so because i'm i'm way into channel three on that thing um and i'm way into channel two uh channel one i like too but i don't think i will get much use out of it at home because i will i would crank it up and i'd get evicted or or uh fined <laughs> find out of my find out of my condo so <coughs> excuse me um if you're interested in uh some new you know presets or whatever for the uh profiles for the kemper check them out uh also and this is this is kind of why i wanted to put that first because um we're talking about irs i was actually talking with mike mara right before the show started about irs he's getting into irs for his helix stomp and he's actually wanting to run his Fishman triple play through his Helix Stomp. And I and I, I kind of guessed what he's doing, but he's going to split signal so he can use effects on his triple play running through the through the HX Stomp so they can have two chains. And then the other side, he can use an IR for the, for the amp cab thing and get more realistic sounds out of it. Um, so I was kind of schooling him a little bit on on how IRs work and how you should use them in the Helix, or at least the suggested use scenario. Because obviously, sky's the limit. Do what you want, right? Um, but, you know, he was kind of questioning, like, 
well, what's the the optimal way? And I think it's you know, Jim. We talked about on the show. I think understanding IRs is a little like complex the first time you do it, but if you just think about it, it's just a cabinet. That's all it is. You know, it's a mic'd up cabinet, and it's a digital representation of a mic'd up cabinet. And anytime you apply it to something, right. you're applying it to cabinet. So if you're going to apply reverb, you probably don't want to apply it before the cab, unless you're going right. for that sound. You know, because because obviously that sound. Like a spring reverb would go before the cap, um, typically. Or if you're using a reverb in an effects loop, it will go before the cap. But otherwise, put the put the reverb after the cab. Put the delay after the cab. So you can kind of think about it that way. But anyway, um, part of the reason why I'm segueing here, Jim, you might have guessed. What did Mesa come out with this week? The cab, cab Clone IR. Yeah, the Cab Clone IR and IR Plus. And I have to be careful because I want to say IR Pissed. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> that's my that's my new nickname, IR Pissed. Um yep. actually my uh my gamer tag for Xbox for anybody that plays is Therapist. <laughs> uh anyway, moving on. <laughs> moving on. They you are can th- you can think about it. They are pissed, therapist, yeah. or the Never mind. <laughs> yes. If you've if you've seen that, there's, day, it's I, all yeah. supposed to be on one line. And everybody's seen that. Yeah. Meme, if right? you've seen that, that Saturday live no sketch face. from years ago. Um. Anyway, yep. so uh, it's really inappropriate, but but it's still funny. Um, and I still laugh every time I hear that joke, which is why that's my gamer tag, and I've never gotten banned for it. So, um, and I got that going for me. Uh, anyway, so what does it mean to or not? What does it mean to be clever? Capcom IR and IR Plus. We're getting there. That's the next topic. Um, Capcom IR and IR Plus. So I think the gut reaction when I heard about this product was that they're admitting they failed with the Cab Clone. Right, right. Yeah, that thing. I have had conversations with many people at this point who have basically laughed about how bad the cab clone actually is. Now let's back up. So what, what was the cab clone competing with? Right. Huge and Kettner red box. Okay. So at that time there was that there was the Palmer DI. Um, and Palmer had been around for a long time doing that. And there really wasn't a whole lot of other cabinet emulation boxes that were, that was like specifically what they did. Right. So there was, some other things like the Rockman and stuff like that people have used over the years to do similar things. But um, for the purposes of, you know, just modeling a cabinet in an analog format, that was the only way to do it when those products came out. Um, and I'm actually kind of surprised Tech 21 never just had like a cabinet modeler, right? Just just did the cabinet. Um, but they didn't. And then I, or at least I don't know about it if they did. Um, so... That's that. I looked at this product and I went, "This is them admitting defeat." But then I understood something. I said, "No, they're not killing off the existing cab clone." And I think that's more or less like a, "Hey, we want to make sure that our dealers are able to sell their remaining inventory." But I wouldn't be surprised to find out they're not making anymore. Um, so I the the first point of contention I've had with certain people is like, what's the price on this product going to look like and who's it competing with because it's a fairly simple product so to i'm just going to pull up the, the cap clone so i can look at the knobs um 
and kind of give people an idea. So there's two, there's actually two products. So there's the Cab Clone IR and the Cab Clone IR Plus. The Cab Clone IR is the closest to the existing Cab Clone with IR emulation instead of um, uh, analog style, right? So it has input with a clip meter, which is kind of nice. So you know when you're when you're hitting the digital front end too hard, um, a presence control, which allows you to control your high end, which is which I, I honestly, in my opinion, that's that's critical to using IRs um, because oftentimes they're um, they're recorded in such a manner that they put in a lot more high end than than somebody's typically going to use, especially in a stage performance. And so, if you want to send a signal to the front of house that is exactly like what you want front of house to hear use the presence knob and the output control, of course. Um, and of course these are really reactive load boxes, which is, you know, obviously superior to, for a lot of people. Um, and I guess, you know, your mileage may vary, um, to, um, the old style of, of basically attenuators and, and, uh, uh, what do they call them? Um, it's not an attenuator, but it's a load box, right? So the idea behind the reactive load is that it reacts more like a speaker. Um, so they're competing with a, a number of companies at this point that have entered this market space. Uh, two notes is one of them. Obviously two notes kind of started the whole silent. You don't need a cabinet thing. You plug into that. And then the two notes, like the torpedo live, for example, um, as, uh, various IRs available for it. And then you, and I, the only thing I don't like about the two notes thing is that it, I think you have a through on it if I'm not mistaken, but there's no attenuation. It's full bore, you know, into the thing and then either direct out. And if you do have a cabinet out on it, it's full bore. Right. Um, and the, the, uh, actually the cab clone IR is identical to that. The cab clone IR doesn't have as many features by far as the two notes. The two notes has the ability to, um, you can dial in different, you know, distances of microphones and you can have a stereo microphone pair and you can adjust the parameters for those. And, uh, it's got some interesting features in that regard. Um, I think, and cat and actually to uh, note, um, Mesa actually modeled their cabs for two notes. They worked together and they came up with a modeling pack because there was a, a demand for this product. And I think that was maybe Mesa boogie first stepping their toe into like, is this really a thing? Like people really want to do this. And then when they saw that their pack was selling, they were like, okay, we need to get in on this. Um, so that's the Cab Clone IR, right? Fairly basic, not, not a whole lot going on. You do have eight slots for IRs in two banks. So you actually have 16 slots. Um, it doesn't get more simple than that, really. Uh, you plug in a USB cable to load your IRs, and then you can um, go to town. I think, so I'm not looking at the... Uh, I want to say it's MIDI controllable too. Yeah. Yeah. MIDI in and through. Uh, it is. And additional it is. cabinet space, I guess, yep. beyond the 16 factory load presets. So you can use like a USB drive to store your cabs and then you just use the cable. And, to and the price tag on those are $600. Yeah, they're 600 bucks. So the Torpedo Live is, I believe, 700 Yep. Now, the Capcom IR Plus, is that 799 the plus is seven ninety nine, regardless of whether you get the four, eight, or sixteen. Now it has some different features. So right. a lot of different features. It has an attenuator built in, and that's that's the the elephant in the room, right? Um, yep. So 
that that has the elephant in the room. And then of course it's got the same amount of IRs and all that. Um, it has a presence control, you know, level control, the attenuator. Um, and I think that's the product that if I if for me right now, that's the one I'd buy. Now, yep. so it, it was brought up that we were this this product is supposed to compete with two notes. And I I think it does compete with the two notes, torpedo live, but of course the, the attenuator is a big feature, right? That's a pretty yep. inexpensive add-on if you think about it, because you'll spend four hundred bucks on an attenuator to get a reactive load attenuator from another company called Rivera. Um <laughs> or yeah, and there there's various other attenuators out there. Um I you can get a Weber attenuator with a speaker motor in it. Um yep. and those are reactive too. Um I don't, you know, your mileage may vary. Um I again it's an attenuator. It's always gonna be a tone compromise, but it allows you to get more power tube saturation at a lower volume. Um yep. if you use it moderately, but this comes it's super useful. Yep. This comes with a lot more features. Yeah, I I think the attenuator honestly is worth its weight in gold. I mean, I could see somebody spending seven hundred bucks on a quality attenuator. The attenuator, the level, yeah, um, yeah, and uh, obviously uh, the um, uh, the fact that again you come with everything that the other one has. Yeah. There is everything the other one and has extra features. This. So you've got sixteen. Uh, banks again, uh, or well, 16, uh, two banks of eight. So 16 different IRs you can have loaded. Uh, MIDI, you've got, uh, you know, the um, output presence and input. Um, so it it's it's up there. All right. This thing is really, really looks good. All right. So you know what this is competing with? Because I know we're talking about yep. two notes. Mesa Boogie yep. is a boutique company. And I know people have this tendency, like, well, they were sold at Guitar Center, so they're no longer boutique, right? No, Mesa Boogie is not sold at Guitar Center anymore for a reason, no. because they got tired of not being paid, okay? And uh, they their business is small enough that they walked away from Guitar Center, and they've still been able to make a lucrative, you know, living at it. Um, and that has to do with business practice. I think we talked about that in the show before. They don't, they don't, they run out of a checkbook. They don't run out of a out of a bank account. Um, well, right. they run out of a yeah, out of so bank they can't. Loan. Right, so they can't ship stuff and not expect payment when it's right. shipped. So the thing is about Mesa Boogie is it's one of the few companies in the boutique amp world, and I'm quoting my local dealer because I've heard their rep also say the same thing, where you can go and you can get an amplifier, a cabinet, a pedal, <laughs> and anything else they sell, and it's made in the same building by the same people. And I don't think people realize that cabinets often from the manufacturer you're buying from don't come from that manufacturer. Nope. Um, and it, they're one of the few U.S. companies that you can say that about. So um, I think Sir might be another one. And that's where I'm going with this. Yeah. So Sir is definitely a boutique company, right? Like nobody's going to dispute that. Um, right. But Sir came out with their reactive load IR box. Um, right. It was about a year ago, two years ago. And its street price is five ninety nine. So, yep. where do you think Mesa was aiming? And their feature set is, I believe they do ninety nine IRs loaded in it. I mean, how many are you going to use? I get, I mean, I get it, and I, I and I know I shoot myself in the foot because we talked about the GT one thousand from Boss. I said three IR, or like was it ten IRs or something? Ten IRs, like that's ridiculous. Um, but in all honesty, um. 
I think 16 usable with storage for more sounds reasonable. Um, and their unit does not have an attenuator option. There's no, no it has a DI level. That's a reactive load IR attenuator, you know, like model or I, I a reactive load IR plus from sir. Um, right. So I think in that regard, if you're after an attenuator, you definitely want to go Mesa boogie. Do I think either of these um, options are going to sound bad? No, I think they're probably no. both going to be gorgeous sounding. And, and in all honesty, um, the reason why you would go boutique on this is because you're going to get great signal path anywhere. There's an analog component. They're not going to spare any expense on it. And of course you get your support. So if something breaks, you can just call them up and they'll probably send you a new one. Um, I don't think yep. either of these companies is known for poor support. Um, and in Mesa's case, if they modify the product after it comes out, a lot of times they'll modify yours. You just send it in. Um, yeah. So I think personally, you can't go wrong with either of these products. I don't think the Mesa has a leg up over either one. Um, and if they, and if no. you, and if you believe they do, and, and I'm sure Jeff is going to, is going to want to talk about this because he's been looking at both products for, you know, as long as they've been announced. Um, and actually it was, then I get a reactive load IR. Um, and he may actually already have one. I don't remember. Um, right. I'm sure he, he can weigh in on it a little bit better than I can, but I mean, if it were me, I buy the Mesa because I already have a bunch of Mesa products. It just kind of makes sense. It fits in, yeah. You know, it fits in the quote unquote ecosystem as I wink my eye because I know that there's not really an ecosystem right. here. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I just I, I got better feelings about the Mesa product. I think the ca- I think the uh, the casing and stuff looks cooler for the Mesa product too. Um, and it, and I mean that price and that feature set, even at the the five ninety nine price. I mean, it's it's which one do you like to look up better? You know. Um, you're talking about digital stuff and I'm sure the signal path is going to be great for both of them. Um, yep. so, you know, your mileage is your own. Uh, I don't think yep. your mileage may, may I'm not vary. sitting so, there saying that one's better than the other. That's, that's just ridiculous. No. Um, and no. they're pro- and they may even be using the same IR loader chip software yep. on the, on the, you know, the, on the, uh, the board. So. Yeah. If I decided to go ahead and loader, I'd probably get like. Either our Mesa head with the with the Mesa loader, or I'd get the PT fifteen. Well, you could do you know you could do um, and this is something I think a lot of people may have not thought about. You could do a head, and then the torpedo, yep. right? The torpedo live, yep. and then use a power amp, and right. use the use a power amp to actually like attenuate the signal, which is essentially what the the tube amp commander does from from Boss. Um, yep. Now, granted. The thing I don't like about the tube amp commander is it imparts a, a katana power amp sound. Um, and, and the applications I've heard it because I got to hear it at Gearfest and I, I was in the tent for a while. I didn't think it sounded bad. I, it just made things yeah. sound a little bit flatter, a little bit flatter. And I mean, it's like one yeah. or 2%, but it was enough. That it was like, yep. yeah, I can tell this is a class D power amp. It's not, yeah. this is not like, so I didn't ever, they didn't have that experience with, um, the amp one. Cause it's, he's right. done some trickery with class D to make that, that a little bit more dynamic. Uh, yeah, yes. but you know, if you're in a gigging situation and you got a loud amp, uh, it's definitely usable. I don't think anybody's going to, going to poo poo it. And actually for what it does, it's a pretty unique product. 
Um, yeah. You have to get like the uh, the ox box or something. That is the one thing I wanted yeah. to point out about the two notes, though. Two notes is walled garden. Um, and while I think you might be able to import IRs into it, I haven't done a whole lot of research into that. They sell their own yeah. IR sets that match up with the feature set of the product. Um, that's why I never bought into the two notes torpedo product line, because if, if something ever happens to two notes, who knows if your product supported in the future, at least with these other devices, it's just a wave file. That's your IR. You import a wave file. It's very simple. And wave files are not going away. They've yep. been around for over 20 years at this point. So, um, just, that's just my thoughts and notes on that. I think, uh, I, I told somebody in the group that I was going to be fair and, uh, rough in my assessment. Um, I think I, I've done a good job on that. I, it's hard for me cause I'm a Mesa fan for me not to say go buy the Mesa, but in all honesty, like it's just pick your poison at this point. So, yep. um, and what does your local dealer carry? Um, so I want to get into yeah, exactly. the meat of our show tonight. We're we're hitting an hour. I wanted to try to keep it an hour and a half. We might go a little over. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so the meat for the show tonight, uh, it's it's a non-gear related topic. Thank thank you. I, I'm glad because we are not just a gear podcast. Um, and I'm going to throw the question to you, Jim, first while I go and grab a Kleenex. Yeah. But um, what right. does it mean? That this is the topic. What does it mean to be a great guitar player? So go. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's an interesting question because today I was watching, uh, oh, what the heck's his name? Um, Rick Beato had a, um, a thing about five or 10 guitar players you should know. And he was focusing mostly on a lot of the, uh, YouTube community and the guitar players in the YouTube community. And the, the thing that struck me about it, as I watched it, cause I didn't watch the whole thing. I'll give, I'll give everybody that I didn't watch the whole thing. Cause by the time I got to the fourth one, other than Greg cock, all I heard was wheedly, 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 wheedly. And it was like, all right, well, I didn't hear great. I heard, a, I heard three people who could play the, the, the tapping, you know, multi-finger, multi-hand thing. But I didn't hear anything that made me go. I could feel that music. I just heard, a boatload of notes. And so I think, I think what makes a great guitar player is the same thing that what makes any great musician. It, it's a musician who could move people through the, the playing um, that, that they give, I mean, that they do. So if, if uh, I was to say you were a great guitar player, does that mean that you could play a solo note for note? Eh, maybe. And some people's, um, I think that that would be a great guitar player. Um, but to me, it's somebody that can move you through music and it doesn't have to be like some emotional thing where you, you know, you, you break down crying or you, something. it just has to be something where you feel where the music is going. Derek Trucks and makes I, me cry, I, by the way. He makes me cry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I hear, I'll give my most prime example because obviously I'm a huge David Gilmore fan. And when I hear both solos in Comfortably Numb, my mind is taken to two different places. And so the the kind of surreal. That's um, a great example, by the and, way. Yeah, that that first solo kind of takes me to this serene place where it's you know a surreal and serene. I'm saying both, um, where it's just kind of calming and kind of 
and then the second solo kind of takes you drifting and it's almost like you're out just out on a um, a boat and then the waves start moving you more and more and more and you just start flowing and, and everything is up and down so you could see it like a roller coaster where it was it just starts slowly and then just crashes you into like i'm just gonna launch you into outer space into this into this crazy thought process so that's i mean that's a prime example for me that makes a great guitar player is someone who can take you somewhere and it doesn't have to be that incredible but take me somewhere other than um look at me i can i can dance all over my fretboard with all 10 fingers at the same time i haven't said anything musically but i'm an incredible you know dancer when i heard when i heard uh eruption the first time that took me somewhere and every anybody who thinks that's just a weedly weedly solo should go back and listen to it yeah there's some theory there there's definitely because some theoretical stuff going on in that um yeah. comfortably numb for, so before i'm i'm take my rebuttal here um hopefully you're done I, you're drinking something so mm-hmm. <laughs> um comfortably numb so Not my sponsored. my take on those two <laughs> solos the first one is um and from a theoretical standpoint obviously major minor right like that's the that's the big difference yep. between the two of them um the first one's in b major pentatonic mostly and then the second one is in b minor pentatonic mostly um but but the reason why uh i bring this up is because you describe them one way and i describe them a different way so i think the first one is regal and i think it's aloof and i think it's almost like out of touch even though and that that's i i feel like that's what he's trying to do with it even though like that melody just it just rips at you. It's like, it's, it's very well written and very well thought out and very concise. And it's, I mean, like you can't get more perfect feel than he gets on that first solo. And actually that's why when I play it, I try to play at least the first, you know, four bars or whatever of it. Perfect. Um, because I think the audience, when they hear the first like little bit of that, they immediately know you put the time in, like you really care about this. Um, not, not so much because I think that I want to make the same statement, but because I, I respect it. And like, it is more of a melody part than it is a solo, which is something that's very rare. Um, the second solo I feel is more like grim and it's more, um, far removed, detached, angry at, at times. Um, but it's, it's noticeably darker in the way that uh it represents kind of a different view from the human soul really that's that's the way i perceive it um and the reason why i bring this up because you use different words to describe this the same thing right um and i want to say that like being a great guitar player is sort of a subjective thing because i know that who the people i think are great you may not necessarily think are great and others may not necessarily think they're great so um i'm trying to think of a great example um and like Jim Campolongo, right? So he's a jazz blues telecaster ninja from New York. He played on um, where I first heard him and didn't realize about it at first. I first heard him on Cake's record, Prolonging the Magic. Um, he played a lot of the fancy guitar playing on that record. And um, it basically made his career and it, and it paid his living for, for a significant amount of time um, while he was doing other gigs. And uh, allowed him. Oh, Jim, this damn sweater. Um, he he just put the sweater on, folks. 
Um, <laughs> I hope you're warm. Um, anyway, so I think that somebody like Jim Campolongo doesn't have widespread appeal. And I think that if I played some of his music for other people, they'd be like, I don't understand what's special about this. Um, I don't understand what's, you know, what's interesting about this. Um, it's like jazz, right? Like, I think a lot of people can hear jazz and not understand it. And so therefore they immediately kind of read it off as like, well, it's just some guy showing off. Um, and I'm not saying that everything should be elitist either. I want to make that very clear. It's like, it's about the audience they're speaking to. And it's about, you know, how it makes you feel. So I guess it's, I guess what I want to say is it's like a totally subjective relative thing that people like what they like and being a good guitar player doesn't necessarily mean you have to be Eddie Van Halen or David Gilmore or Jimi Hendrix or any of those people. You could be Doyle from the misfits as much as that pains me to say, because I know that he's not a technique guy. Um, he doesn't really understand what he's playing. Um, he just knows it sounds good and he's making art and he's okay with it sounding good and not understanding why. Um, and he has a very particular way of doing things, which is very unique to him. And for any of you who are familiar with the Misfits, they have a pretty rough, ragged sound. Um, but the guys made money doing it and people like to hear it. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think that's the barometer for this, but I'm, I kind of feel like, you know, much as you, you go, well, I don't really like his playing and I don't really, I don't really find anything here that's, you know, validating or whatever. Um, somebody does, you know, that's, somebody thinks he's great. <laughs> so I've been listening to the audiobook, the world according to, or no, the gospel according to Luke by Steve right. Lukather. And he reads it himself, which is which is interesting because usually the authors don't read the. He books wants to themselves. make sure that the inflection is his. Yeah, so it literally sounds like. I mean, obviously Steve is telling the story, but it literally sounds like Steve is telling a story, which is really cool. It kind of comes into your head a different way. It changes. Usually, books are are a reflection of our own um, our own uh, intellect or our own. Um, imagination where with world according to luke steve lukather is telling the story and you're feeling what he felt um and you can understand where he came from and he talks about like what he did in africa and what he did um that solo in roseanne and everything else and it it gives you a different way of looking at it but also um it it kind of i don't want to say it it validates but i'm going to say it because it kind of does validates the way I always felt about um, Toto that they were great musicians who were a great band. And, um, you know, Jeff Picaro has left, left us and it's, you know, it's happened since and so and so too. I mean, we yeah. have dream theater and stuff like that. Now, granted, right. I don't think the current incarnation of dream theater has any soul to it, but I really yeah. feel like there are other bands like King's X is another great example. You got an excellent yeah. guitar player, an excellent bassist, and an excellent drummer. Um, and I I really do feel like that's a valid thing. I know people like to pee on bands yeah. like that. It's like, well, it's a super group. And so, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just a cash grab. But I, I don't. So first off, King's X is not a super group, right? 
But Dream Theater could definitely right. be considered a super group. Those guys, I mean, right now, with the level of playing that they've shown the world they can do, would be highly in demand for other bands. Um, and former oh. members of Dream Theater have been highly in demand, both when they were in the band and after. <laughs> well, that's the thing that that Steve was trying to, to um, remind people is that Toto was a band. Yeah. They were they were a group of people who knew each other since they were kids for the most part. Yeah. Remember, Luke was only 19. And yeah. he, he was a kid and he had known Jeff and Steve since they were kids. And he was those a kid. guys. And they, did and they he talk about how together. rich they were before they even did Toto? They didn't right, do exactly. that to make money. And that's what I think. Right. It was not a cash. People crash. seem to forget. That when you're a session player who's played on hundreds of records and you're getting royalties for writing some of that stuff, he was yep. filthy rich before Toto even started. All of those guys. He already were. had a gold record. That's right. He already had a gold record. He um he talks about how he came back from his uh tour with um oh, what's his name? Uh Boz Gags. Yeah. And he walked out and bought a BMW in cash, but because he was so young, the first guy talking about, you know, some of your guitar center stuff that happened to you in the past, the first guy he walked up and he said, yeah, I want that BMW right there. And the guy laughed him off the lot. So then he went down and he goes, I did what any self-respecting adult male would do. I went to my mom. <laughs> he goes, and it's so funny. He goes, and my mom called the next BMW dealership and said, my son is coming to buy a car in cash. <laughs> right. And Steve um, Lukather comes from his family was in show yeah, business yeah. all the way back. So he, um, his grandfather worked on like, yeah, he was very connected like into the industry, which probably yeah. has, and I haven't read the book, but it probably has something to do with how he was getting a lot of the session work too. In the well, in the beginning, his dad. I mean, how many dads come home and you know you've you've put in your time, you've put in your effort, you've shown me on your crappy guitar. Here's a Le here's a Les Paul, a fifties yeah. Les Paul. And of course, back then, it was only a ten year old. Yeah, Les it Paul was like used guitar. Yeah. Like it wasn't even nobody was yeah. going to go. Oh my gosh, that's the Holy Grail, you know? Yeah, his his fifty nine Les Paul is yeah. now worth you know quarter of a million dollars or whatever. It, it was uh, it was just a fifty nine Les Paul at that time. But I'm just saying that, um, you know, so the guy, um, you know, proved to his parents that he would do it. So his dad, who was a Marine and then got out of the Marines, went show business with his with his father because his father was already doing it. So. It was just kind of funny. And and Steve Lukather lives in the same house he bought way back in, what, 1980 yeah. or 81. Well, so, but but as we know, most musicians, yeah. and I say most because we know they're also the other ones, most musicians yeah. are pretty good with their money and how they live. They're not Motley right. Crue, right. right, where they're you know buying right. super expensive sports cars and driving around and killing people. Um, right. I think that's kind of a stereotype that comes from the eighties rocker and even some of the late seventies guys, but the vast majority of musicians are like Steve Luke there where Luca Luca I cannot say his name, um, that they have been conservative with their money over the years and they take care of other people in their families and, um, they're okay with that. So I don't know. Um, just, yeah, I think that, like you said, that stereotype, it comes from that. It comes from that whole 80s thing, which 
if you think about it, if you give somebody who didn't ever have money money, they're going to do something stupid with it. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, they're going to do something stupid. With yeah. It, right. How many times have you heard about? I think we've talked about this before. How many times you've heard about uh, where somebody wins the lottery and the next thing you know they're poor, they're broke, they're broke, and that's because the the sharks will circle. Well, whether those sharks are family members. Or they're investors. Or whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. You're, right. you're just going to dump something. Charlatan. You might right. just buy a car, you know, um, a car you can't afford, <laughs> um, which is not what happened to me, by the way. Um, but I, I ended up making that sacrifice. Um, the whole point is that, you know, you got money. If you don't know what you're doing with it and you haven't been prepared, you're going to make mistakes with it. You need to watch some Dave Ramsey right. if you got some money. You need to you need to figure out your financial path to success before you start spending it. Um, but I think that comes to like, like, like what I was saying was that though, that when we talk about, um, great guitar players, Luke Ather is one of those greats and he's one of those people, you, you know, um, uh, another guy, Ray Parker Jr. Well, was the same way. My, You'd hear him a million times and never know you heard him, but you love Well, my stuff. point is that, uh, I don't think so. Not every guitar player is universally liked, and I guarantee you, we've got listeners to this show who don't like Lukather, either as a per and, and and I hate to say it, either as a person or as a guitar player. Um, and I and I know because I've had some conversations with, them. and that's my point is there's no user universality here. It's more about just doing your thing and stop worrying about if you're a great guitar player. You know what I mean, like. Just play, have fun with it. If you're if you're having fun with it and you're doing something that's like unique and different, um, and even if you're not doing something that's unique and different, if you're having fun with it, you're a great player in your own man in your own mind. And it doesn't necessarily mean that other people have to like you or dislike you. Um, so look at as I said, Doyle from the Misfits. Um, yep, you don't have to be a great player to to sell music. Or to, you know, to make music even. Um, and there's some validity to that. It helps. I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, uh, I think I think somebody like John Petrucci, because we were talking about Dream Theater earlier, not for any other particular reason. Somebody like John Petrucci, who has every technique under the sun under his belt, can sit down and write a song, basically what's in his head, and make it reality. Whereas somebody like Doyle might have to compromise on what he's trying to do um, in order to produce a finished product um, and or just learn new things in order to make something happen. Um, and he's completely comfortable doing that. I mean, um, you can see his style has changed since the early days of the Misfits. And um, he I don't think he's in, in any way interested in making a Van Halen style record, you know, and that's fine. Um, so from that perspective, like. Yes, I do think that there are certainly players that gather a lot more respect from the community, and there's definitely some validity to that. You know, your John Mayers, your David Gilmore's, your um, Luca Thers, um, people like that, and that's perfectly valid. I just feel like uh, even though those guys exist and that people are really into them, doesn't make what they do any more valid than what Doyle does from the Misfits. And I'm I'm picking on him because. He's not really necessary. He's like the perfect example, right? So he's the guy that just plays like four chords or five chords and then just rearranges them. And pretty much everything's power chords. And he writes, I mean, some of his early stuff is basically like fifties doo hop kind of melodies and harmonies. Um, and he literally has guitars where he's written 
the note names in the fret uh, the fret markers um so that he can tell what notes he's playing uh you know it's an a chord well yeah i know it's a fifth fret low eastering you know um and he also yep. has some peculiarities in the way that he he produces instruments and stuff too which are very unique and um really i would in my mind are more esoteric and and based on the way that he plays the instrument because he doesn't play it like anybody else um and if you ever watched him play physically like it's a whole weird thing but um i'm not the i jim i i want to give you some credibility here i think that there is a tendency like to be in one camp or the other. You either like the guys that are doing something artistic and have a particular vision that appeals to you or you have, right. or you're in the other camp where it's like, I want to see guys that can do things that are physically impossible for most people on the instrument. And right. I don't, I mean, I, I enjoy both, but I think there are good versions of both. And I think there are bad versions right. of both. And I don't necessarily, and it's sub yep. totally subjective. I don't mean that there's actually like a universal good or bad. It's just things I like and things I don't like. Um, but I, that's where I struggle with this, this conversation is because I have in the past, and I'm sure we've talked about this on the show before. I would not be surprised if we haven't had the same, um, the same topic before, but I feel like now that I've met more people through the show, and I'm playing out more that my opinions are starting to change. So then I said it an open mic night. Jim, you said something to me a while back when I started doing these. You know, like I complained there was a there's a gentleman that performed. I was like, oh, this is painful. Um, yeah. And I complained about it. But then you said that's what open night mic nights for. And I realized yep. like, yeah, that guy's never going to get better unless he goes out and does this. And maybe right. and maybe he won't get any better even if he does do it. But how will he know unless he tries? And so I shouldn't right. belittle him for that, even if I can. No. So I would never do that in person to show. I want to make this very, very clear. I would think it silently to myself um, yep. and then maybe have a conversation with somebody afterwards, not the person, mm -hmm. right? Because I don't want them to think that that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. But I felt bad because I was like, even though I'm not doing that, I'm kind of engaging in the same behavior by having this conversation about somebody who was painful to listen to. Um, and yeah. I, so I remember once I was sitting the audience and my wife, um, and I would, I'm a relatively cynical person. Wow. Never yeah. could have guessed it. And um, <laughs> I was sitting with my wife and she, she said to me, uh, we were talking tonight. I was, we were seeing somebody in an open mic and I was talking about how painful it was to listen to him and so on and so forth. And, and she says, I don't notice it. And then I said, you know, the least the guy could do is try to tune up. She goes, why don't you go tell him? Help him out. Yeah. And I, it never crossed my mind at that time and that point in my life to walk up and say, maybe, maybe you want to tune your guitar. You know, I think you wanna... for a lot of people, we have this, our culture, this is, this is the American culture, right? Cause I know we have listeners over in other countries and stuff. I think our culture is very much like every man for himself. And, and the first right. thing that happens doesn't appeal to us. Like, how can I help this person? I also have been in situations exactly. where I've offered someone help and they're like, I don't need your help. And it's like, yeah. Okay. And, you know, like, yeah. And yeah. it's almost like they don't respect you or whatever. Um, and, and it's, that's a hard thing to deal with too. I think that's a whole other topic for another episode, but I, 
So that's the thing. If if somebody comes up to you and they obviously have more experience than you, and I'm not talking whether they're a better player, like from the technique perspective or that they play more interesting music right. you do or anything like that. I'm just saying that somebody has more experience. And this is like just a complete thing. Um, this guy plays out every weekend and he can offer advice about how to build your rig. And he comes up to you to an open mic and he says, I noticed you're having problems with your cables. Like you might want to try this brand. And he doesn't say you should. Yep. He says you might. And then you're like, I don't right. need your help. I've seen that kind of stuff go down before. And I'm like, that's just not even respectful. Like at some point you just listen to him and you shut up, you know, and, and yep. maybe you take 1% of the advice they give you away and you go do something with it. And then it works out for yep. you. Just saying, if you're one of those people, yeah, stop and think about it. Now I know it's playing out stressful and I know that people tend to react negatively when you walk up to somebody inside the stage and you say something to them. But um, just keep that in mind. Like, wait until they get done. Go up, talk, shake their hand, tell them you like what they did. Tell them, you know, hey, I noticed you're having some problems with this. Like, maybe you should try this. Because that's what I guess for. It's for learning to be better, right? Right. I Often as, I'm, as I host open mics, I'll get questions. What would you recommend? You know, what would you try? What would you do? So those are things that I like to I like to answer, but I try to I don't try to go, well, it's right for me, so it should damn well be right for you. And if you don't do it my way, you're an idiot. I don't come across I've run like into that. some of those people though. Where it's like, well, you're having problems <laughs> yeah, with your I guitar, maybe say, you should just buy a Les Paul like me. Right. What I try to do is is very much like um when someone asked uh Getty Lee why he didn't create why he never created a uh, how to play bass yeah. thing or you know base concepts he said my my um you know i i'm able to play the way i play but i don't recommend anybody play the way i play <laughs> he said my my um uh you know my playing sucks as far as the way i do it right so and that's the that's the thing you know i wouldn't recommend to somebody something i do just because i'm short or because you know you're not going to tell say, somebody, hey, because I really short, like these shoes. They're going to be great for you. <laughs> right. Because I'm sure these are some things I do. This is the reason I have to put the guitar the uh, way I for, do. So, you know, our so female listeners may not understand this, but they might. Right. I'm going to say it. You're not going to recommend that somebody else wears the same pair of underwear as you. And the same style right, right. of underwear that you do. Whatever that being, I yeah. don't want to know. Um, and so, therefore, why would you do the same thing for, like, musical equipment? I've literally said that. I've literally said that, um, you know, when when somebody comes into me, up to me, when I'm working um, at Guitar Center or even when I was I was there as a customer, they'd say, well, what, what would you – I'd say, you know, I have – this is the size hands I have. I have rather big hands for the small person I have. I have long – arms for the size of person I am. I should be almost six feet tall. My son's constantly pointed out because I have a huge, huge um, point to point uh, arms, whether that's because my mother would drag me around by one arm or something when I was a kid. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they say that that's supposed to be your height. So I should be a lot closer to six feet tall than I am. And, uh, but um, Jim should have been a swimmer. The other side of it is, 
I have long fingers because of the way I am. And I, my fingers on my left hand are actually longer than the fingers on my right hand. As a result, yeah, I was just going to say that's, that's a playing thing because I have the same problem. And yep. mine are noticeably right. longer. <laughs> yeah, notice. I mean, like, noticeably. My sons are like, wow, they're like an eighth of an inch, or I mean, a quarter. Yeah. Look yeah. at this. Yeah, it's, it's massive. <laughs> yeah. And so I explain to people, I say, well, that, that comes over time. So if you're older, it's not going to happen. But if you're younger and you start playing, it will happen. You'll, you'll get a stretch in there that just happens. Um, and anyway, I, I, I try to explain things that are physically different because, and I've said to people, I go, here's a guy that plays metal on a, on a Telecaster. And I play blues and country rock on a, yeah. on a Les Paul. So it, I still yeah, don't I to... still pigeonhole like genres with guitars. Yeah. And it's just a it's just a bias, I guess. But I I I know you can obviously take any guitar and play any style of music with it. I just feel like right. certain guitars lend themselves different to different styles for and they're and there's some pretty obvious reasons, but like Telecaster's tuning stability, because there's literally right. nothing to go wrong with that guitar. And the same thing with like Les Pauls and SGs. Right. The only thing that could go wrong on those is yep. the nut because of the string path. But yep. um, I don't know. Which is yeah, fixable. I mean, well, debatable. I, it's it's a compromise yep. if you do. Yeah, it's and it's a compromise. That's um, exactly right. So there was something in the earlier part of this discussion about what it means to be a great guitar player that that uh, you mentioned that I wanted to bring up. Let's say, like the question is, is it – um, is being a great guitar player the same as being a great musician? And actually you suggested that it was like that those were coinciding things. So I guess we should kind of like stop for a second and we should say like what we believe a great musician is not. And I'll start cause you started the last time. I think yeah. a great musician is somebody that um, can work as a part of a team. And that's both musically and non-musically um, can get along with a group of other people and come up with a, like a teamwork thing. And an approach that works for whatever they're trying to do, right? So, like, again, yep. there's another classic example. Something like Doyle, who's been in a band forever, um, obviously has something going on there. And that could even just be business savvy, too. It doesn't necessarily have to be, like, um, grassroots teamwork. But they know that, like, they have to do this certain thing to keep this band going or do this certain thing to keep this the, the income coming in, right? Um, and... Yep. That also includes playing music properly um, or, you know, for whatever their needs are. Um, and I think it, it there are different skills for different types of musicians. And that's kind of what I wanted to get to. It's like, I think the expectation for guitar players and what we know how to do um, by other musicians is different than other musicians. It's like you get a piano player you can hand them sheet music, right? Like most people would be like, yeah, I can, I can just hand them sheet music and they'll know how to play it. Um, and, or right. they'll, you know, be able to work it out or come up with a version from the sheet music that works for what they're trying to achieve. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm kind of bringing this up. It's like guitar players. Yep. I mean, we often are just handed a lead sheet, if that, and sometimes right. it's even less than that. It's just, here are the chords and they yep. tell them to you by mouth, you know, and you're like, okay. And the chorus is what, you know, um, that always amazed me. Cause I'm doing that now. Like I'm doing a lot of the, Hey, it's an, it's an A, G and D progression. And I'm going, all right. And, and I'm just doing it. And, and there was a time when I was like, I don't 
know how to do this. Like I, um, I actually found myself <laughs> playing some, um, cause we play a lot of like folk tunes and I found myself like playing the progressions without even knowing what the chord progression was. I was just like, all right, yeah. it's this. And this sounds like a fourth and this sounds like a fifth. Um, yep. And, you know, just play the root notes or whatever to, to fill out the arrangement. Cause a lot of times I'm not, I'm not necessarily a harmony instrument. Um, so yeah. I guess I was about, I was about to say something. I to guess that. it's go, also go this like arranging piece, right? It, when you work within a band, knowing your place. And I think that may be more important to the great musician. Part of it is like knowing how you fit into a collective. If you're working with a collective. Um, Cause I, I think there are, I want to be, I want to be clear. There are two different things that, that, that can be caught up in this. We're not talking about what makes a great songwriter. Okay. Or a great song. What we're talking about is what does it mean to be a great musician in the sense that like, what are the skills that you need um, to do this? And I think the other one that I wanted to point out is uh rhythm. And I think yeah. I, any instrument, any musician from any instrument needs to know how to perform rhythm, right? But where it's different for guitarists is we often fill a rhythmic role. And I think right. I have heard more guitar players who don't play concise rhythm than I have that do. That's not necessarily a bad thing. And there are definitely times where being a little off is important, right? Like it, it makes the vibe yeah. of a song. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, and, and if that's your thing and like you actually, Henry Kaiser is a classic example, right? He's somebody I poo pooed on the show several times, but Henry Kaiser, it's something, right? He's, he's arranging right. sound over time, which we've said in the past is the definition yes. of music, or at least that's the way I think of it. Um, and yep. whether I like it or not, the guy obviously knows what he's doing. Um, and right. He right. may not have like perfect rhythm, or at least that's not what it sounds like, but maybe that's a controlled thing. And maybe the tempo changes and fluctuations are a controlled thing. And so I said that, that even that's kind of a subjective thing, but I, but I do feel like guitar players, if you, most of your guitar players, if you say, okay, so we're going to, we're going to play this, you need to be tight with the drums. They'd struggle. They wouldn't be able to be tight like a bass player would, or um right. any other rhythmic musician a uh, classic example today i was watching snarky puppy um they do their you know their video things where they actually do the recordings um and i watched yep. two two drummers together and those guys were way more tight than a bass player and a drummer or um a guitarist and a drummer and it was not time alignment like po in post it was those dudes were i mean you couldn't tell there was a difference in the snare it sounded like one snare yeah. and you're going I'm just sitting there going like, I wish I could do that on guitar, you know, like what if I could be that, that on beat, you know? Um, but then again, maybe that's not what I'm going for. Maybe I want it to be a little bit more loose and ugly and, and uh, free, you know, and being able to do both is an important skill. I think, um, technique wise, you'd want to be able to do both. You, it's like, a, you know, uh, the painter with a paintbrush, anybody could be the painter, but if you don't have the right colors on your paintbrush, you're going to struggle. You know, you're going to be trying to mix things to make yep. it work properly. And you might over mix or under mix because you're not a master of those colors. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't make good art. I mean, uh, look at look what, um, 
who's the guy on uh Bob Ross? He painted with like six yeah. colors. All those paintings, six yeah, colors, yeah. wet on wet. Pretty yeah. crazy. So yeah, wet on wet. That was his thing. 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah. From start to finish. So um often under 30 mm-hmm. minutes, obviously. Um, so yeah, I want to uh, let me let me expound on that. So a uh, um a guitar player can't take you anywhere if he's not fitting in the composition. Yeah. Right. So I, I would I would agree wholeheartedly with what you just said, and I'd like to expound on it just a little bit. In that, if you take a guitar player, and let's take Comfortably Numb for example, because we were already there. So if you sit down with Comfortably Numb and you listen to what David Gilmore does during that first solo, like you said, I, we actually kind of said the same thing. Yeah, in two we different use ways. different words, but that's why we um, use it as a springboard, right? Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> let's take that first solo, right? Um, like you said, it's major, and the and the chords change. Yeah, the chords are obviously um, different progression go, completely. Right, we go from the B minor, A, G, E minor, to we, we're still playing over B minor. By the way, those those who want to know the um, you know the, but we're playing um, uh, all major chords yeah. now. We're playing well, with the exception of the B minor that slips in there. We play. Um, C, A, D, and G. We don't play any any uh, minors over that, except for there's a B minor in there that slides in to to transition you um, between. So it's it's an interesting perspective, like like David said, um, that happens there. If Gilmore didn't play the way he did. Which I understand he play he had written those parts right. Um, Waters had written the song "The yeah. Doctor" or something, which was yeah. the chorus, and then or the verse, and then he came in with the choruses, and uh, you know there is no pain you are receiving that thing, and so he takes that that lyrical part that first time you do it there is no pain you are receiving the first time you play this the the solo you're playing over that, and so. That's that major. And then the second time you play it, though, you stick to those minor chords that you played in the in the verse. I, I see that as a crash. Like you said, you come down. I see it as the because let's face it. He's telling a story, right? He got he couldn't couldn't perform. It was a real yeah. story. It was autobiographical. Roger Waters got um, hurt somehow. Somebody spit on and him. they gave him a shot. The- Oh, no, this, yeah, that, no, no, I remember. No, they, yeah. Yeah, he pulled a muscle yeah. or something. They gave him a shot, get him out on stage. He wasn't feeling, I can't remember what it was. He, he, he But it, the fact is, a physical problem, gave him a shot, made him euphoric. It wasn't that the pain left. And that's the point of the song. He just didn't pain care. Didn't leave. It just got covered. That's that whole, there is no pain you're receding, you know, a distant ship. So, so the first. Solo tells that story about how everything's just kind of slipping away, and I'm just kind of, ooh, you know, just kind of hanging out. Ooh, this is cool. But then we get pulled back into reality. We get that pain, that oh, you know, and and, you, and he's he's really jamming you. When he goes from the G to the E, it's not just you know that that that's he's just hitting it so hard. And again, if you're not a great musician, you can't. 
lock in. Every time you know you hear him when he goes off to do the solo, when he wants to come in and take you into another place, he locks back in. He knows exactly how to get back into the piece and then fly yeah. out to where he wants to the so, guitar to tell you. And that's that's what you were saying, I think. Yeah, I, I kinda, think that's like what... exactly. I I think that there is a time and a place for that. But you're not gonna let to say that I wouldn't expect David Gilmore to play like Doyle on a Misfits record. No. And no. And I don't think Doyle would expect no. to play. Right. Or, or vice versa. Gilmore. Right. So right. could you mention Doyle playing right. comfortably numb? That would not be the same thing at all. Um, it no. doesn't mean that it, there's not some other path he could use to express the That's same right. thing or that the song would just not be totally different to begin with. Um, because he has a different perspective right. on it as well. Maybe he likes being euphoric. Right. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. I, I, you know, I, I'm just, I'm not that, you know, I'm, I'm suggesting that he's a, he's into drugs or anything. I mean, I'm just saying, um, it's just oh. a different perspective and a different, and a different outcome right. and a different style of art. And so I guess at the end of the day is what I'm trying to say is like, right. we're all artists, right? And we all do, we all right. make art. And as long as we're making art, does it matter whether we're good or not? Um, I don't, yep. I mean, that's totally subjective too. I, I'm sure there are people out there in our on our audience that say, you gotta be Steve Vai, or otherwise your art sucks. Um, well, yeah, so let's take it outside of guitar for a minute, right? We'll take it to take it to the movies. Let's take it to the movies. I, um you know, there are people there are people who just can't wait for Star Wars to come out. And there are people who could care yep. less yep. if Star Wars comes out. <laughs> There are people who can't wait for um, phase four Marvel movies and people who can't stand Marvel movies. You know, there were people who liked Suicide Squad and there were people who hated Suicide Squad. Okay, so I'm just saying that. And there were people who like me who saw Suicide Squad for what it was. It was a little bit of fun. It should it could have been a lot better. (laughs) I think I think anybody. But I, but the reason why I kind of want to have this conversation is because I think people need to be yeah. more respectful of other people. Um, it's easy for me. And right. I got embroiled in a, com- a conversation with uh, one of our show listeners, actually, um, where I was mm-hmm. defending this idea that, you know, we should dumb down art and we should conform it to some guidelines. And it's it's hard, you know, like oh. if you want to if you want to put a song on a record called three minutes and 30 seconds. Which I think is actually a real, real piece. Oh yeah, and it's literally song, just three minutes and thirty yeah. seconds of silence. It's just a guy, ding, ding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three minutes and thirty seconds silence. That's right. There's another one where a guy just yeah, plays or, one or note. They, on uh, I think we're talking about John Cage, right? Is I think this is the guy's name. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. Who did the? Uh, I think so. He had the the he had another piece where it was just people like sitting on stage with radios and tuning to different frequencies at different times. And yep. um, I'm I, my point is that music is really more basic than that it doesn't have to to be to be i guess it's not about being good it's about just being music right um it's just about right. being music and that means that it just has to meet that basic generic definition and if you're successful at it maybe i mean i'm successful I, i'm talking about a monetarily successful thing this is an accident <laughs> um now maybe yeah. an accident you orchestrate yeah. but it's an accident nonetheless right um yeah, look at the guys who did uh, uh, Killer Tomatoes. You know, what, you know what? Actually, I, the, the, what I was thinking about um, the knack. 
the first record was very, very successful, right? And, and very, very good. good. So what did they do in the second record, yep. Jim? They did it. And again. it should have been successful, shouldn't it have? That's right. If if success was to be measured Finan- like making meaning the financial pie, success, right? Like that's the same definition, right? That's right. So, right. That's right. Like making a pie where you could stick all the same ingredients and all the same stuff and you could put it into the oven for the same amount of time and you bring it out and you cool it for the same amount of time and you serve it with the same like vanilla ice cream or whatever. It should I be. Think, I think there's a lot more X factor in music than people care to realize. And that even though that it That's should right. have been very easy to duplicate that same thing and do it again and make a bunch of money, that X factor is not there. It was not. And because of that, that's right. why I'm saying like music is an accident. Successful music is largely an accident. Yep. Now, I mean, there obviously yep. you can fake successful music oh. too, meaning financial success again. Um, you can fake it by yep. marketing the crap out of it um, and just putting it in front of a bunch of people and uh, that kind of thing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that um, uh, that uh, there's any merit to that. I mean. Yeah, I guess if people do pick up on it after marketing hype and it remains in the public consciousness, we should have a segment, Jim, where we talk about songs that people forgot. Like big hits that yeah. nobody even knows about because they, they exist. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think so. I replaced a guy in a band who had written a, and played on one of the biggest songs in the 60s. That I'm sure everybody's forgotten, and I won't. Well, I won't my, mention my, it. My question is: We were. I, yeah. I was at the VIP event the other night, and we were talking about "Home Sweet Home" from uh, from Motley Crue, which a lot of people really like that song. And if you were alive in that generation, you probably remember it. But I would, huge, I yeah. would challenge you to find somebody who's post millennial, like between like twelve and seventeen, who's not a musician, and isn't into that kind of music, who's heard that song. <laughs> Hold on, because I got one for you. Today, it's the first time I ever saw somebody look at a picture of this musician. Who the heck is that? And it was a young girl, young teen, who was buying a bass today at the, at the, at the Guitar Center. And her dad had to say, that's Kurt Cobain. Oh, whoa, whoa. Yes, we've got that whoa. far, folks. I just want to let you know. And she couldn't been maybe if she was seventeen, maybe. I, I I put her at about fourteen, fifteen. She didn't know who Kurt Cobain was. I'm just letting you know that as much as we live in a world where we remember a lot of people, that that's a reality that you have to face at some point. I I, I brought up Home Sweet Home. Obviously, it's a really bad example because I know that. <laughs> MTV when that song was popular it was running it like every half hour every hour um oh yeah but there are other songs um actually the one that I can think of uh anything off the the Operation Mindcrime record from from Queensryche that was a big record oh, yeah. it got MTV play and I I I played yeah. that record for people who were alive when it came out and they don't remember any of it any of it which is which is really weird considering how good that album actually is um and people have rediscovered yeah, that album probably, because of that i mean probably one of the greatest rock and yeah, roll albums i mean it's, ever made. it's it, i would yeah, put it dude, up there um if you've never heard that one check it out um it's operation mind crime from queensrike 
and not the band operation yeah. or uh, not the band operation mind crime, which is Jeff Tate right. doing his <laughs> thing, you know. Um, or that's a whole that's a whole other conversation. We're we're at four, now we're forty two. I mean, we could have a fifteen minute conversation about what the hell happened to Queensrÿche. Um, I don't know that we'd be able to wrap it up in fifteen minutes. But but here's yeah, the no. here's the clip notes There's version. No Singer splits because he's fired. Uh, Singer decides he's going to be Queensrÿche. Bands decides they're going to be Queensrÿche. They two are at the same time and end up on the same bills in certain places. And both, yeah, yeah both and both using, using the same name. So they sue one another. Um, one sues one, the other one countersues. Um, and ultimately it is decided that Jeff Tate, the singer, no longer gets to use the Queensryche name and he must now be Operation Mind Crime, which is the name of the record that is obviously one of their biggest, biggest successes. Um, yep. <sighs> I just thought that I was, was alive when that record came out and I don't remember any of it. And and I'm told that it got MTV airplay and it was on the radio and stuff and I don't remember any of it. Um so it, it, when I first heard the record I was like, "Wow, how did I miss this?" Um but yeah, now you know, now as an adult I kind of understand that like some of this stuff just fades. And I, that doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily a knock on the music, but I think um that's the point is like it it has to be, it has to. That's that X factor again, right? Whether it whether it stays in the public consciousness, or whether it gets utilized in a licensed product or something, and it just keeps it out there. Um, and that's really about the lucrative side, the the financial side of success. So otherwise, it's just making music. Yep. And if you're happy with what you made, then great. You know, I can't. You can't do any better than that, really. Um, so. Uh, I did have a little silly topic that I wanted I want to talk about at the end of the show. Um, I think we've I think we've hit this one okay. nail in the head um, and smashing success, Jim. Uh, <laughs> which, yes. by the way, when I say your name in that fashion, <laughs> it reminds me so much of the original Star Trek. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, so yep. anyway, what Jim? What is the worst thing? you've ever done on or to a guitar that you thought was a good idea at the time that I thought was a good idea at the time. I, I put lighter fluid on my, um, my, uh, guitar. Was it an airline? Uh, what the heck was it? It was a silver tone. Okay. Yeah. It was a Sears, yeah, it was a Sears silver tone uh, or an airline or something like that. Yep, it's all silver tone with the with the amplifier built into the um, case. Uh, case, yep, a little water half watt amplifier built into the case, and uh, it it burned very well. <laughs> Did it smell it burned very quickly? Well, There's yeah, a plastic guitar, right? Like it would have been Russell Glass. It was one of the worst guitars I've ever was played it Russell Glass? in my entire life. I don't know. I did, honestly, I mean, it's so many years ago. I mean, we're talking, geez, nineteen eighty. So, yeah, yeah. So it was Here's like a '60s guitar, one of the '60s serious guitars. So it yep. would have been resin glass. So you burned, yeah, fiberglass basically. <laughs> yeah, it smelled. It made a, what color is the smoke? I have to ask. My brother. Yeah, it was like black, and it was. So it started like a. It started like an almost silvery hue of sparkly it, it was like a and then it just like like uh, fire when you set a 
yeah, tire yeah, on that fire. That tire fire. Um, it was. Yeah, it was literally yeah. a tire fire. <laughs> Jim did you know, his part in destroying the environment by brother, burning a Sears guitar, folks. Yeah. So my brother, who's a who was at the time, you know, a, an excellent pyromaniac. He, <laughs> Can we talk about the, fire, uh, the measure right? of success he, for excellent pyromaniacs? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. And he, he doused that thing. He, like, he drilled he holes in it, and he, it and he put gasoline on the inside. He impregnated it with gasoline. Oh, good Lord. It, when it went up, I swear to God that the strings <laughs> melted. I mean, that, that's how hot the fire was. That thing went like it just went flash, poof. And it, there was a mushroom <laughs> cloud that just went up in the air. He did this at my home like 40 years later almost, I guess it was. It wasn't that long ago. I had a house in upstate New York. We had this had this home, and I, I was getting rid of some stuff. He goes, oh, Jimmy, let me just take care of it. I'll take care of it. He took it into my other yard, and he piled it all up. I no, thought he was taking it up to the dump. It. He took it into my other yard. He piled it up. He threw gas all over it, and he lit it. And this was all mattresses. And, <laughs> and now here's the the part the funny part of the story. It oh was my a drought. Gosh. It was a drought going oh, no. on. So, and I live now. I try to give you an idea. I lived in a little valley. So, and on the other side of the valley, what was there? The fire station. Okay, I'm just letting you know. Here's what happens. So my brother pours all this stuff on there. He goes, and that thing just like that guitar. Of course, much bigger because this is very big fire. It's it. it picture a nine foot circle. That's how big my fire put was. And it goes, woof. And, and it just into the air. And I hear, and the, the fire, and then the, the volunteer fire guys go into the fire station. And yep. then I go, I know where yeah. uh, wow, that looks like, looks like they're going down, you know, this route that's, that's parallel to my road. <laughs> and then I see them coming. I go, oh my God, they're coming this way. Oh my God. And they pull into my yard. <laughs> all the guys get out. Hey, you gave them good practice. <laughs> and so I, I said to the, the chief, luckily he and I, I mean, this is a small town. We're all friends. And I said, uh, I said, you, uh, am I supposed to get a ticket for this? And, and he goes, well, I'm supposed to report this. But he said, I'll just, I'll write it off as training. And so literally that's what happened. I was like, oh, thank God. Because at this point, I'm an adult. So starting a fire with, with stuff that you shouldn't be burning <laughs> in a place you shouldn't be burning it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the guitar got burned on, on, on railroad tracks, I've by the way. A lot of <laughs> just so you know. It was on a it was right between yeah. railroad tracks. So that if the train came, it would have smashed it. That was the whole idea was to have the fire going. So if the train came, it would have just run it over. We should see the sparks and pieces flying. <laughs> trying to think. What I didn't say we were I've done. I did not say that. Um, oh, I should probably talk about that. So I got that Behringer pedal, right? The um, it's not yep. the dumbest thing I've done. I'm sure. I'm sure I have done dumber. Uh. I stripped a truss rod, I think, at one point. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to share this one. So Behringer, the uh, tube emulator, whatever, TE or TY, whatever I had last week, right? Um, it's the, the Sansam GT2 clone that they make. I took it to open mic last week. 
and um, trying not to like haul out my Kemper rig, right? And we went direct, and I plugged into my uh, Boss RC3 loop station, and so it was you know yep. straight chain, one cable right into the board. That thing sounded like ass through the through the the PA. <laughs> I don't know whether I had it adjusted wrong, if there was an impedance mismatch, or what. But man, it sounded like ripping paper. Um, even though I, ha- yeah, I mean, it had to, it's a cabinet emulated out. It's it's meant to be a DI box to go direct to a board. The only thing I can surmise, and this is the stupid part of this, right, is that I ran it into the Boss RC3, and I think that changed the output impedance, and then it runs into the board, and so then I get nothing but trash. The RC3 sounded fine. (laughs) Which, but, look, I'm, I'm a trooper at this point. I played through enough trashy gear that I can just get through it, and I did. And I actually had people coming to up to me after the after I got down. Like, you know, I heard you play those songs before, but tonight, like, I heard the inflection and the the you know, and I I understand the melody now and things like that. Um, and that meant a lot. I mean, there's other musicians, obviously, but um, but that made right, me right. realize, like, yeah, even though I got this crappy gear that isn't giving me what I want to sound like, um. Clearly, it's doing something right. So, no complaints. Had a good time. I might nope. actually try to use my Kingmaker dual engine, right? And I will have a preset on the preset mode that's like a tube amp with a overdrive in front of it. And then use the inside EQ to roll off the highs, kind of like a speaker. Yep. And just try that. Um, that's only until I yeah. get another product to do the speaker modeling. Um, but that doesn't change what I said about right. the Sans FGT2 and the this clone of it. I think I, I've been running it direct into my DAW in, in lieu of the Kemper um, just to test it out because I bought it to talk about it on the show. And it's been acceptable. Um, I get some decent Iron Maiden tones and uh, I've gotten some decent like bluesy tones. Um, I My only gripe about it is that you can't get like clean martial sounds you can't get clean boogie sounds you can only get dirty ones so keep that in mind i'm trying to think there, there's got to be something worse i've done with a guitar that i thought was a good idea oh i know and it's a similar thing um <laughs> i was listening to some of my old recordings i had devices back then like the pod and uh, I had a Digitech RP series thing um, that did cabinet emulation. I had karaoke mics with a quarter inch output, and I had distortion pedals, right? Um, and so my whole thought was like, I was kind of tinkering around with doing these recordings for my old band like a long time ago. And basically, what we do is we'd uh, we'd go to this open mic where they would record us. We take the recordings, we take them back, and then I would overdub um, additional parts on there, and then we put them out as demos. Which, actually, if you think about it, is not yep. such a bad idea. Um, but because if you're just trying to do low quality demos, like back that back when I was doing this, cassette tapes for demos were still a thing. 
um, and people were still buying the cassette tape Tascams that had the, you know, the, the eight, 16, 32 channel Tascam cassette tape recording things, which the fidelity on those yep. was horrible, but it was enough to demo up a song so you could hand it out okay. to your band members and be like, this is what we're going to play. Um, yep. So in the midst of doing all these like recordings, um, I would try various different things to get sounds that I liked. And I would use the RP and I think I used it on a couple things and it sounded pretty good. Um, so I said, well, I'm using the RP to go direct. And it's basically just like a, like a, I just thought it was, I just thought it was a distortion pedal. Right. So I'm like, well, maybe I should just plug my distortion pedal directly in. And I did that yep. a lot. Cause as I'm listening to these recordings, I'm like, Oh my God. What am I thinking? Like, what was I, what was going through my head? And I can remember getting excited when these sounds were coming out of, uh, you know, and, and being recorded. And I'm like, now I'm like, dude, you are an idiot. Um, remember we had a different perspective. Well, I mean, yeah. Like the fidelity was just a different thing. I can remember plugging yeah. into a zoom five Oh five two with my Ibanez smash yeah. box out front. And being like turning up the you know the smash box to ten, uh, the gain level to ten, which is like think Mesa Boogie Triple Rec on steroids or like a PV fifty one fifty, um, direct into the Zoom five hundred five two, which was also cranked up inside, and going that sounds like Van Halen. That did yep. not sound like Van Halen in <laughs> any way, in any way. Yeah, but. <laughs> When you were a kid, it did. <laughs> no, it didn't. I just had terrible ears. That's what I mean. It, that, I know that's it's. It goes back to that perspective. I, thing. I could just remember like wanting a lot more treble out of everything, and like all those kind of stupid, yep. silly things that we do when we're not really sure what an electric guitar is supposed to sound like. Right? Not supposed because electric guitar yep. can sound like whatever you want it to. But but the point is like the the common sounds that you you have to nail for certain things and that you should know how to do or like or like maybe are appropriate for the genre of music you're you're in or whatever. Um, that's where I I I went back and I listened to those recordings and I went, you know, I, as bad as I think my recordings are now, and I go, nope, like I'm worlds different, both as a player as a engineer, as a, um, as a songwriter. Um, and I have no qualms about any of it. It's all been a journey, you know, and that's, that's basically, and yeah. I think this harkens back to our topic for tonight, which was that, what does it mean to be a great guitar player? It means to go on the journey, <laughs> to go on it that's and right. stay on it. And that's right. You're never going to get to the end. That's the point of the journey is that there is really no end. It's just a journey. Um, right. So, Jim, how are you enjoying your uh, Fender sweater? It's very warm. It's very warm, and it's very good looking. I think it's because I'm wearing it, but it it could be it could be other reasons. Are you hearing this, folks? <laughs> Sound off in the group. Come on. <laughs> if you take issue with anything, if you take issue with anything that was said here on this episode tonight, please, please talk about it in the group. We'd love to hear about it. We'd love Look, to talk about it. It's on the sleeves, too. Damn, oh, stop. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit all this stuff so it makes sense. 
And this will not make any no, sense. It's better that it doesn't. Folks, what I'm saying is the word fender <laughs> is on both sleeves as well as on the, just so that you don't miss. It's on your fenders. Fender. Yeah. <laughs> it's on a fender sweater. It says fender. Why don't you get your fender guitar and strap it on with your fender strap out of your fender bag? Oh, wait. And wear your fender sweater and your fender underwear and your fender socks. Did I tell you I bought the Fender t-shirt too? Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> I did. I bought that green t-shirt to go with this chair. Okay, Jim. We have a Can we talk about this for a second? Yes. Remember last week when I said like normal people don't do these sorts of things? That's right. Normal people. <laughs> I Jim, actually had somebody. Stay weird. Like Portland. Stay oh. weird. And I've been Jim. And I've been David. We've been practical guitarists. That's right. <laughs>